Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. You're working at a company, maybe you're working at um, in a specific division within your company. Do you see ways that you could create efficiencies or that might reduce the carbon footprint or might use less water, right? Because those ideas are not going to come from the sustainability team. That's something that you work on. You might have solution at your fingertips already that the company just isn't implementing. It's time for Women Who Code Conversations, a segment to hear from top technology professionals sitting down with a Women Who Code member to discuss real-world experiences in the industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. I'm Joey Rosenberg, President, Product, and Communications here at Women Who Code. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Angela Baker to the show. Angela is the Chief Sustainability Officer at Qualcomm, where she oversees corporate responsibility and ESG programming. She's an advocate for sustainability, the reality of climate change, and the need for companies to integrate sustainability goals into their operations, regardless of their size. She's become a force for change in the tech industry. Prior to joining Qualcomm, Angela served as advisor to Secretary Hillary Clinton in the Office of Innovation at the U.S. Department of State. Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, thank you for having me and for that wonderful introduction. You work in this area, sustainability, that I'm really passionate about. And I know it's a topic that is often on the minds of a lot of our listeners. So I'm excited to unpack this with you. Um, Before we get started, let's level set just a little bit. When you talk about sustainability, what does that mean to you at its core? Sure. So when I talk about sustainability or when I'm looking at that from the lens through which we're looking at it at Qualcomm, it's really a very broad uh, set of issues, right? So it, of course, includes environmental sustainability, what we can do as a company to address or mitigate the impacts of climate change. Also includes things like looking at human rights, working with our human resources team on human capital management, really helping the company to be a very, you know, a a responsible corporate citizen. And that doesn't happen just with me or just with my team. It happens with a number of folks across the team, but helping to drive those strategies to really ensure Qualcomm is a sustainable company that will be around for the next however many years. When I was reading about Qualcomm's approach to corporate responsibility, there were really two things that stood out to me. So some of them, I think you've kind of touched on a little bit in describing what sustainability means to you. Um, One was this three-pronged approach, empowering people, transforming communities, and protecting the planet. And then this other was this goal to really leverage the power of technology to enrich people's lives through purposeful innovation. I love the idea of that purposeful innovation. Can you help us unpack this a little bit? What do these things mean in practice? Absolutely. So, you know, as a company, I think any company or any organization has to look at where they can affect the most change. Of course, there are lots of issues in the world that need to be addressed. And I think I am a believer in technology as a as a force for good. And I think it can help us address a lot of these global challenges. But we can't address everything, right? We can't boil the ocean. So I think we need to really look at what can we really affect. So looking at, you know, within our own operations, how can we reduce our carbon footprint? How can we look at, you know, our scope one and scope two emissions, but also working across our value chain and with our suppliers and customers to reduce their footprints as well. And then, you know, as Qualcomm, a leading technology company, how can we, how are we innovating purposely? How is the technology that we're building and designing really going to have a positive impact on people? Whether that could be for education, could be for healthcare, could be for environmental sustainability. 
and you know, I'm biased, but we have some of the best engineers in the world. So working with those teams to figure out how they can be leveraged to reduce greenhouse gas emissions or optimize water usage or make the grid even smarter, those types of things, right? So when we talk about purposeful innovation at Qualcomm, it's really looking at how what we're building has a purpose and how we're looking at how it can affect, you know, address some of these, you know, large scale global challenges. So some of these things you're mentioning, I mean, these are some of the most pressing challenges that are really facing humanity worldwide. What does that look like in your everyday? So like, what technologies are you using? What kind of stakeholders are you engaging with? How, how are you actually kind of chipping away at, at these issues? I always say I have one of the best jobs at Qualcomm because my days always look quite different. And I should have said this at the beginning, but I love that you had me on this podcast, but I'm not actually an engineer. That's not my background. Um, But of course, we have a lot of great engineers at Qualcomm that are working on these issues. So, you know, on any given day, we have a number of stakeholders with whom we're engaging. It might be the investor community, who's certainly been pushing for a lot of change in the space, might be policymakers. We've seen a lot of leadership coming out of the U.S., Europe a lot of different countries around the world that are sort of looking at climate change or human rights or some of these big issues. Certainly our employees are a big stakeholder of ours and they're very passionate about a number of these issues as well as customers and suppliers that I mentioned. And so I think on any given day, working with any number of those group of stake, those different groups of stakeholders to identify what are the key issues and how might we work together as well as sort of building a coalition within Qualcomm, right? So my team sits within government affairs. That's where our uh, corporate responsibility team sits. A lot of working with policymakers and engagement on, on global policies, but working with our engineering teams, working with our facilities teams on, you know, our energy and usage and things like that. Could be working with um, folks that are focused on employee travel or commuters, right? Or, uh, you know, working really closely with the diversity, equity, and inclusion team, which is, of course, a huge they have a whole separate focus, right? But it's very tied to environmental social governance. So working really closely. And so that's why I like my job because we, I get any given day, I'm working on a number of different issues with a number of different internal and external sta- external stakeholders, which just keeps it sort of different and, and very interesting. Wow. So you've, you've talked about a lot of different groups. One of the themes I heard in there was policy. Um, You also have had this really uh, interesting experience working at the Office of Innovation at the U.S. State Department. Can you talk a little bit more about the role of um, policy and politics in environment and environmental work and share any of the the experiences you've had uh, in that role or, or in your current role? Yeah, I mean, I think these wor- these worlds are really coming together even more so. And I think we're not going to get to where we need to be in terms of reducing the impacts of climate change or meeting sort of that 1.5 degree, 2 degree target without the policymakers, right? And without the regulators, because I think companies are doing a lot. I think individuals are doing a lot, but we're going to need policies to help us get there, right? And to incentivize green technologies, things like the IRA out of the US and, and things like that. Um, so I do a lot of work, uh, both within sort of the ESG space, but there's uh, other programs that the team works on, right? Like our tech for good program, which is working on some of these issues like education, healthcare. Those are issues that every government is looking at for their own citizens. Right. And so as an American tech company, we're not going to come in and say, oh, we're going to fix healthcare. I mean, we have to work with the governments who have been working on these issues for long periods of time and, and civil society organizations and things like that. We just have a tool that can help the technology, right? Um, and so I think 
you know, my start was all political. I worked for, at the time, my first job out of college after bartending was working for, uh, at the time, then Governor Jennifer Granholm, who's now the energy secretary uh, for the U.S., but I'm from Michigan. So I worked for her in her, uh, she was running for, she had just won election. Um, and then we worked, I worked for her all the way through her second term and her re-election. And she's very inspiring and great. And then I um, worked in presidential politics for a while. And then I worked for Secretary Clinton at the State Department. And I think, you know, at that time, that was like 2011, I want to say. So we were really looking at these, how technologies can be leveraged for civil society around the globe and how they could how we could help get their voice out. Things, big policy issues like internet freedom, uh, right? I was part of a team. I wasn't like the only advisor, but there was a, there was an innovation team there. And so really trying to bridge this, uh, this world between tech companies, specifically US tech companies, but also globally and, you know, civil society, policymakers, government, the US State Department, the Foreign Service, which is a huge, uh, important part of the government, right? That's sort of, America in other countries, that types of things. So those types of things. So yeah, it was a really interesting place to be. Certainly Secretary Clinton's a very inspiring leader um, and, and obviously under President Obama. So it, it was incredible. And I think it really sort of got me then to Qualcomm. What was it like to have that kind of access to such senior leadership, whether it be at the state or national level? I think it's incredible. I always, whenever I talk to young people who want to get into sustainability or get into corporate responsibility and they don't necessarily know what path, um, I always encourage folks to get involved in politics. I think it's a really incredible field. And I think, you know, at a young age, right, you did get sort of a lot of access. I, I wouldn't say influence, but a lot of access, I think. And um, and really getting to engage with these really smart, in my case, women, because I worked for a number of smart women, um, but just really smart, energized people who really do believe that they are trying to make change and they are trying to be, you know, you sort of, it sounds so cliche, but being part of something bigger than yourself. And, you know, when you're at the state department, it's like 60,000 people. And there are, there are people who have been working on like, let's say just China for fit their entire career or just, um, you know, the global South, or, I mean, these are experts in their field and you really got sort of an up close seat, right. To work with them, especially the career folks. So I think it it's incredible, and uh, and I would encourage anybody I think to get involved in government or politics because um, I think it's it's like a whole different beast I think from corporate America. Obviously, they work very closely together, but it's quite interesting. So yeah, I'd put a plug in for that. <laughs> Angela, your whole career has really been about impact and driving real tangible change. What's the most impactful thing you've accomplished in your career? You know, if I had to pick the most impactful thing i would say in the last year and a half the last year at qualcomm you know we were one of the first large cap semiconductor companies to set a net zero target so that's reducing emissions to zero across all three scopes including our value chain and that was a lot of work to get that done we had a lot of engagement internally but i was i'm very proud of that i know the team uh, worked really hard on that. And, and so if I had to pick one thing, I would say, you know, I'm really proud of getting that target set, really, you know, planting a flag in the ground and, and you know, taking, it's by 2040. So we've got the next 17 years to to really focus on decarbonizing and reducing reducing our emissions. Wow, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. You know, one of the things that I noticed that's happening through Qualcomm are some of these really impactful um, social programs. So Two of them that stood out to me were wireless reach. And if I understand correctly, have impacted more than 20 million people across 47 countries 
uh, to really bring wireless technology to underserved communities. And then the other one is um, Qualcomm Thinkabit Lab, um, which if I understand correctly, it shows students from all cultural and socioeconomic backgrounds that they can really be part of inventing uh, the wireless world of the future, which is just amazing to, to put that kind of power um, in a more broadly distributed, more accessible way to more people. I think it's just incredible. Uh, tell me about your role in either of those or your team's role and, and what that looks like. Yeah, and you nailed it. So great, great job on the research. So yeah, um, I think, you know, I came in through Wireless Reach. That was my first job at Qualcomm. I came in uh, on that team. And, you know, I think, again, going back to what I said at the beginning, you really, as a company, have to look at where you can have the most impact. And we knew, you know, at the time, uh, 2006, right, sort of starting out with CDMA um, and getting people connected to the internet, right? And we really have been looking at programs that can leverage the technology that we design for impact, healthcare, education, entrepreneurship, public safety, the environment. It has actually reached over 25 million people now. I think that's the latest number we've published. Of course, Qualcomm technology has reached so many billions of people. These are very targeted programs where the teams go in, they don't come in and say like, oh, we have these tools that we think you can use. We say, tell us what your problem is. People submit um, sort of like a request for proposal. And then we say, we think we might have a solution, or they say, we think Qualcomm technology can help. Early on, it was really focused on mobile handsets. Of course, now we're looking at all kinds of diversified um, technologies, uh, Internet of Things, AR, augmented reality, virtual reality, right? Some of these things. So it's been a really, in, you know, we're, we're looking at a, a connected vehicle to everything program in the United States. So which will have, you know, it'll reduce accidents, it will reduce emissions, right? So really interesting. And the team is so passionate um, and really have, I think it's, have worked in a number of countries to get these programs out and to help tell the benefits of Qualcomm technology, because we're a component company. So we're not, you know, we don't make the end device. Um, so I think also helping to tell our, our narrative and our story. And then on the Think of It lab, lab, you know, we have a number of what we call STEM education programs and pretty much everybody calls them that. But we're trying to build that talent pipeline. I mean, probably a lot of folks that listen to this podcast, right? We are looking for, you know, four, fourth to seventh graders. We're trying to impact that where we see girls really fall off, right? We, that's where they lose interest in STEM. That's what research shows. Not That's not what we're saying. But or those traditionally underserved communities in STEM and to get kids engaged um, from all different backgrounds. Because we know in 10, 15 years, those kids are going to be building technologies and we want diverse voices at the table, right? We want kids from LGBTQ backgrounds. We want um, communities of color. We want women, right? So, um, and um, and so we have a number of programs. Think of it Lab as our homegrown maker space, right? Where we're looking, we're giving kids the morning they spend like studying their strengths, interests, and values. Because I think a lot of times when kids think of an engineer, they think of like sort of a cog in a wheel. But first, you and I know there's so many different kinds of engineers and in STEM fields, especially. So. What does that mean? You know, like the kids are always really excited to learn about a patent attorney because they make a lot of money. <laughs> they have the highest salary. But, you know, there's lots of things you can do with a STEM degree. And I think just exposing kids and bringing in Qualcomm engineers who might look like them um, to talk to them about what they do on any given day. Uh, you know, but we fund a number of programs like First Robotics and, and a number of other programs that are trying to reach kids from all different kinds of backgrounds um, to get them interested in STEM so that we can build that talent pipeline, uh, which I think will benefit everybody moving forward. Wow, that's incredible. I, I'd love to know a little bit about your journey. What, I know you said you're not an engineer, but you're working for this big tech company and you're working in sustainability. So 
So what first interested you in tech? How did you stay interested over time? How did, how did you get here? Yeah. It's so funny. My dad wanted me to study engineering when I went to college. And I remember I came home and said, I'm going to study political science. And he was like, you won't make any money doing that. Why would you study political science? But I just got bit by the politics bug early. Uh, but I did make it to a tech company anyway. So it did work out. Um, yeah, I have two international relations degrees. I'm very focused on, uh, you know, sort of conflict analysis and resolution and and international relations. But I've always been very interested in, you know, what tools we can sort of people can leverage, governments can leverage. It was sort of happenstance that I got to Qualcomm because in 2013 or 2012, Secretary Clinton had announced she was leaving uh, the State Department, and I thought maybe this is my time. I go try the corporate sector. And I was on this delegation uh, to Brazil with a number of tech executives. We were doing these things called technology delegations, sort of like trade delegations. We, the State Department, I mean, in which was to bring tech executives to other countries and help to sort of bridge that divide with what tech U.S. technology companies could do in other markets and what, you know, things like recruiting foreign talent and things like that, right? So I was, I told everybody on this flight, I was like, I think I'm going to look. And there was this woman who worked at Qualcomm um, and she said, when you leave, you should um, you should call me because you won't know how to go negotiate your salary because you don't negotiate in the government, right? You just sort of, which I love, right? Because it's a very women helping women kind of a thing. And it's true. I would have had no idea how to negotiate because again, in the government, you, it's, a, it's a grade scale and you just take, uh, in politics, you just take sort of what they offer you kind of a thing. So um, I called her and when, and I emailed her and when I, and she said, we actually have a senior position on wireless reach open at the time. So um, I ended up joining. It was a very long process, like I think like four or five months of interviews. Um, but I really, I think by that point, because I'd been working in the Office of Innovation for so long, I was very interested in this power of tech and what it could do and sort of bridge this um, this sort of the, the cross sector of technology and social impact which is talked about a lot now, but in 2010, 2011, nobody was really talking about that or it wasn't as prevalent as it is now. So I really wanted to continue with an international focus and um, very innovative sort of cutting edge technologies. And so Qualcomm uh, was the place for me. You know, we have a lot of um, members in our community, particularly in the last couple of years who have transitioned into tech from other career fields. And often we hear when people look at tech companies, they just they just aren't sure how to even start the process. Do you have any advice for them about how, how to transition into tech if they're listening? And, and I think it's so important because I think tech companies need people with humanitarian backgrounds or with or with um, uh, liberal arts degrees, let's say, things like that, as well as engineers, of course. And I think the government needs engineers and people that have worked in tech companies to come work in the government and share those sort of share their knowledge. So. I, you know, I think one of the things that we, a lot of things that I look for when I'm interviewing folks for the team is, um, you know, I think it, if you can write, if you have a good background in like sort of communication, writing, I think a lot of times in technology, especially on the corporate responsibility side, you know, a lot of what we're doing is showcasing the benefits of our technology, telling the human stories of technology, those types of things. So if you have any kind of background in communication, narrative, digital strategy, those types of skills, I think those can be really impactful. Um, and I don't think you should be scared of tech, like trying to enter into a tech company. I think like, again, research has shown time and again that diverse voices at the table really do produce better products, whether that's people with diverse backgrounds, that also includes, you know, work experience, 
um, number of years work experience, right? We need all different kinds of folks at the table. And so I think to just sort of put yourself out there, uh, technology right now is sort of having a hard time, I think, with hiring. So um, I would say keep at it. <laughs> awesome. And you are a recognized leader in the tech industry in your role. Um, you mentioned that you had someone help you with negotiation strategy at the very beginning. Can you just talk a little bit about that journey, like these last 10 years and kind of arriving in your position, particularly as a woman in tech, what's that been like? What have been things that have helped you along the way? Have there been any surprises or, or obstacles that you weren't expecting? Um, what's that been like? You know, before I came to technology, uh, to, sorry, the corporate sector, everybody said, you know, like government moves so slow. It's so hard to do things. There's no bureaucracy in corporate America. You should just, which is not true, especially the bigger the company, right? So, and sometimes a little bureaucracy is not necessarily a bad thing, right? It's good to have some checks and balances. So um, I think that I have been very lucky with bosses throughout my entire career. And I think one thing that especially technology seems to celebrate, I'm, this is the only company that I've worked at, so other there might, people might have other views, but is they do celebrate sort of trying new things, whether or not they work out. So you just have to sort of be willing, you know, like if you're, once you get in the door, which I know can be hard, um, you know, like you, sh you should put ideas forward. I think a lot of tech companies right now, especially, you know, Qualcomm's sort of an older tech company, right? Been around like 36, 37 years, not old, but for tech. Um, but I think like hierarchy is not as important as in some traditional sectors. Uh, of course, there is still some of that, but you should be willing to like put yourself out there, throw an idea out, try a new thing, you know, try, try to get on a different project. I find at Qualcomm, people are very open to talking with you about like their journey. Um, in, in fact, I think most places, like if you email someone and ask them for 15 minutes to hear about them, people love to talk about themselves. So I think it's, you know, you should do that. You should have conversations with people. What's the culture like here? How is, how are these things valued? You know, like I'm in corporate responsibility. So to be at a tech company, but not be a tech person, you always have to see like, how seriously are they taking this? Is this something that the executives are looking at? Or is this across the company, right? I think you should ask those questions. Absolutely. Um, don't be afraid to do that. Wow. That's great advice. Thank you. Speaking of how much companies take social responsibility seriously, uh, you've talked a lot about um, how it's the responsibility of all companies to make a commitment uh, to sustainability, no matter their size. I think in your bio, it says from startup to fortune 500. And I, I would love to know a little bit more about the role of companies in sustainability. What is it really? Um, how can it be improved? And what's the importance of ESG programs? And also maybe say what an ESG program is. In case yeah. So environmental social governance, right? That's what ESG stands for. And that's really looking at environmentally speaking, climate related, like what can you do as a corporate to reduce your footprint, whether that's, you know, reducing your own emissions, using less water, using fewer natural resources. Social is everything from like the impact of what you're building, um, your value chain, right? Working with your suppliers and your customers, your human capital, right? Treating your employees well, those types of things, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. And then governance is to make sure that these things aren't sort of happening in a silo at the company, that even up to the board, right? And the executive team, they are engaged in these decisions. Again, you're not just doing these things sort of willy-nilly, they're strategic for the company, right? Companies that 
use that are more efficient, use less waste, things like that. They will operate more efficiently. They'll have, um, you know, it's better for expenses and things like that. So obviously if you keep your people happy and you, and they retain them longer, that's also good. You're not training people all the time, those types of things. So it really is a business imperative, I think, to do ESG. And I think that's what investors have been saying. Of course, the bottom line is also very important, but you can't have one at the expense of the other. Um, and so I think it's just, I think it is really important. We know that corporate America, or we know that the corporations around the world, right, they also have to reduce their own emissions. It's not going to be enough just for you and me and our houses to like use less plastic or turn, take a shorter shower or things like that, right? Like these companies that have big value chains have to look at what they can do to reduce their footprint because climate change is happening and companies need to address it as well as governments need to address it, right? So that we can reduce it so that we we slow the pace of warming, right? And so I think it's really important for companies. I don't think it's a nice to do anymore. I think you have to do it. And stakeholders are demanding it, as we talked about. Um, super important to a lot of employees, uh, investors, right? We, we're monitoring things like the SEC and others, which are looking to mandate um, regulations around disclosures in these areas. So yeah, I think it's incredibly important. Okay, let's talk actionable advice. What would you say to a listener who might be hearing all of these things and saying, you know what, my company needs an ESG program, or I need to expand or elevate the ESG program at my company? What advice would you have for them? Yeah, I would say ask questions. You know, you might already have a program. It just might not be that well advertised. I think talk to folks at the company, look at what they're doing. Um, you know, there's a lot of employee resource groups already. We just had a, a climate specific group sort of start up at Qualcomm because there are a number of employees that are super passionate. That's something that you that you know anybody could do. Um, you know, I think executives know this is important, but employees are a key constituent of executive teams, right? And so I think if they know that these issues are important to employees, that can also affect change. Right. So I would say don't do it in a silo or don't just say like, oh, I wish we were doing more things for it. I think like employees do have the power to sort of engage with other employees. There might be things that are already happening that you don't know about. So I would first say sort of try to find out. Um, and then and then if you see a gap, maybe there's a way you could solve for that, especially if a bunch of people on here are engineers. That's what engineers do. Right. Is they they solve problems. <laughs> That's right. That's my favorite part of tech is solving problems. That's right. Um, so what about at an individual level? If we have, you know, anyone in our community who's listening to this and thinking they might be interested in getting into this field, do you have any advice for them? I think it's very complicated field. I mean, it's not complicated to get into necessarily per se. There's a lot companies are really focused on ESG right now. So there are, I think everybody's looking for talent um, because educating yourself on these issues, right? Like what does scope one, scope two, scope three mean? You don't have to be a climate scientist, but sort of understanding what that means. What are ways, if you're working at a company, maybe you're working at, um, I don't know, in a specific division within your company, do you see ways that you could create efficiencies or that might reduce the carbon footprint or might use less water, right? Because those ideas are not going to come from the sustainability team. Certainly we're looking at the macro, you know, the, the strategy and we know we need to procure renewable energy. We know we need to say, change some processes, but I'm not a process engineer, right? So if that's something that you work on, you might have solution at your fingertips already that the company just isn't implementing. 
Um, I think same thing with, you know, folks in the community, like just understanding what we're talking about. There's so many podcasts out there on that, lots of books. Um, so I would say it's just sort of try to get educated. And then there's lots of different parts of ESG. I think we've focused really heavily on the environmental, but again, the social is equally as important. I think, you know, human resources, human capital, talent acquisition, retention, retainment, right? I think those are all super important um, as well. They're sort of equally important if you're looking at at uh, what certainly what investors and others are looking at. So if you're not so into climate, there's other th ways that you could work on ESG issues. So sort of look at what you're passionate about and find a company or an organization or a nonprofit that is also sort of driving, looking to drive change in those areas. I did a quick search on your um, career page at Qualcomm, and it looks like there are so many different kinds of engineering jobs uh, open and available right now. So everything from machine learning to programming uh, to camera sensor, there's all kinds of things out there. So it looks like um, there's a wide range of skill set that could contribute to this work. Um, do you know if there are particular programming languages that would be more beneficial to be in this field, or do you feel like it's a pretty you know, wide open field in terms of uh, there's a need for, for all languages? I should have found this out before I came on this podcast. I don't know specifically, but I know because of Qualcomm's diversification strategy, we are looking at a number of different kinds of tech, right? Auto tech, IoT, as I was saying before, AR, VR. So I think probably if I asked my CTO, he probably would say these specific languages and I could get back to you on that. But um, yeah, I would encourage you just to check out the Qualcomm jobs page as you just did a quick search. Um, and if you're interested in working at Qualcomm, I think probably you'll find lots of opportunities there. Yeah, it definitely, definitely looks like it. Um, like there's a lot of opportunity and a, and a lot of opportunities to do this really interesting work. Um, I really appreciate you spending some time with us. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Um, are there any final thoughts that you want to share? Anything we didn't cover? I just would say that I'm so excited that you wanted somebody with a sustainability background on a women who code podcast. I know that, you know, I think research shows that young people, women, but really everybody at companies now are very interested in these issues. So I'm, thank you for, you know, giving me the opportunity, I think, to talk about it. And I would just encourage, you know, folks that are listening to also take it back to their organizations and get other people excited about these issues as well. Absolutely. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you today and learning just a little bit about your background. You have done so many things. I cannot wait to see what you do next. And we'd love to have you back anytime. Thank you. And I think that's it for our show today. Thanks so much, Joey. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash Women Who Code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.